When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of a Lady Business. Today, we are speaking with Kate Miller, who is the CEO and co-founder of an amazing brand called Miss Grass. And it is as spicy as you can imagine it is with a name as cool as that. Hello, Kate. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so go ahead and let's just, you know, start with what is Miss Grass? So Miss Grass is a community-led cannabis brand. It launched back in January of 2018. We've been really focused on educating, equipping consumers with resources they need to be educated and informed in this space. And we've been also really focused on serving an extremely underserved demographic, which are women. Right. I love it. I mean, the name is so genius. It's like better than the Justice Department. I mean, I just have the last name. You know That's what I mean? Yeah, but I was born with the name, you know, I was cheating, of course. Well, we, like, we, Miss Grass does have deep roots, not from inception of human being. Um, but we, I, back in the day, was a bud tender, which is essentially what a, like, bartender, I guess, would be, but a little bit different. And... It was 2007, 2008. I was going to college in LA at the time and California had a medical cannabis program and I've always loved weed. So, and I've always been super entrepreneurial trying to find like angles to make a a dollar on the side. And I decided to work as a bud tender. Um, And in 2008 is actually when I bought the URL, missgrass.com. Oh my God. Wow. I didn't even know that. And I'm an investor. Um, That's crazy. Uh, Well, it it was a good one to buy um, because it's a genius name. And, you know, it also, you were saying an underserved market of women, but not only women, like women who enjoy cannabis, who care about mission-based things also, and, you know, around cannabis and the movement, but it's also like, you know, it's really beautiful, right? It's not... You know, you don't walk in and feel like, you know, Snoop Dogg and it's like a massive joint and like it's really beautiful and it's made like with really great products, et cetera. So I want you to say it in your words. And like, so when you're coming up with the idea for that, what exactly was it that A, made you do it and have the confidence to do it, especially because it's still a very male led kind of industry, right? It is. 
Yeah. So, you know, the seed was kind of planted when I was working as a bud tender. And especially back then in the space, there was nothing that resonated with me or would resonate with you. It really leaned into that super stoner bro culture and visuals that we all like have in our heads. And I would go home, I would like leave and I would be with many of my girlfriends who loved smoking weed and not just like in the way that was portrayed in this like very stereotypical like us being high on the couch and not doing anything and being super lazy like we were go-getters we all had great careers we had incredible friendships we worked out like all the things that went against the stereotype of being a cannabis consumer so that's somewhat what planted the seed of really knowing that as this industry matures and evolves and granted you know in 2008, I had this idea thinking like, it's the time and it didn't even get recreationally legal in that state for 10 years later. So probably a bit early then. Yeah. But as this market matures, there's individuals like yourself, like myself, who consume very consciously and want to understand like, what are the products in the brands that I'm consuming? Who are the founders behind those brands? Is it mission aligned? Um, So that's all always been core to our DNA of being really intentional around the look and feel of it so that if you know you're having a dinner party at your house you wouldn't be ashamed to leave a box of Miss Grass mini joints out um, also down to what goes in it um, cannabis because it's still I mean it's still federally illegal in in our country and with that status there hasn't been a massive amount of science, like Western medicine backed, I should say, um, research and and studies. And that has changed dramatically over the past couple of years. But we knew that like everyone has had that experience probably back in the day when they had a brownie thinking like, oh, it's only like, I'm only going to feel a little high and like sent them to the moon. We also knew (laughs) that like education was super important to us from the beginning even before we had product, which product didn't come until year three of the business. So we really focus on how do we build this consumer base that has been underserved in this market, that we can equip them with the information that they need to feel confident and informed to interact and consume this plant. So how did you think? I mean, so so let's talk about that. You started the companies as a community. And why was that knowing that other people were starting brands, et cetera? Yeah. So in January of 2018, we launched Miss Grass um, and it was online community platform. It And it still has, an on, and we still do this, an online magazine where we've created now over a thousand pieces of editorial based content, many of which are education led, again, with the mission of equipping consumers to be informed consumers in this space, understanding all things about this industry. One, the history of it, which has a really, you know, bad, dark, racist roots so that consumers can be educated and equipped to vote with their dollars to support an equitable space, support equitable equitable brands, support those who have been harmed the most by the war on drugs to have a seat at the table now that it's becoming legal. Talk a little bit more about that for people who don't really understand. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, I mean, we've, and obviously I don't know who the listener base is because some Gen Zs are now growing up where it's like totally legal, but for the most part, we've all grown up when 
and still today, like cannabis has been illegal in our country. Further, it's been a Schedule One substance, which is the same schedule as heroin, and it still is today a Schedule One substance. And that has really deep, back in like Nixon era, really deep racist propaganda, like a racist agenda of why it was made illegal to begin with. So, so you could put people like if you put people in jail, they would have to stay in jail longer, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And. And you look at it and despite consumption behavior being equitable across gender, across race, still in every single state in our country, the black and brown individuals have been harmed the most by this plan's prohibition. They have been, they have rates of incarceration way higher than white individuals who are consuming this plan at the same rate as those. Basically... Yeah. You know, a black boy, like 17, smoking on the corner of New York City and, uh, you know, a white boy, NYU, smoking at 17, they get totally treated differently. I mean, it's a very broad generalization, but in general, like, isn't it like three or four to one like that? Something like in New York, it was something like six times the rate. Like New York actually was was quite problematic and New York had quite racist rules around it like stop and frisk is a perfect example of what was allowed in in this state it's no longer that really impacted black and brown individuals especially around this plant so those are the people who frankly like built this industry who have been harmed the most by this plan's prohibition and sadly when you look at who's benefiting from this plant's legalization right now it doesn't look like who was the same people who were harmed the most. So- in other words, Kate is being very diplomatic. In other words, <laughs> Bill, who's making all the money, are white men. <laughs> yeah. Yes. On, on the legalization of cannabis and the brands. Um, yeah. And it's still not, the money's still not going to the right people who've been so harmed by this, right? Yeah. And then there's states like New York, which I'm really excited for this market to turn on, which the first legal store opens on the 29th of this month in December. Oh, wow. Um, where is that? Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know where it is. I think it's up up in like Queens, maybe. Oh, OK. Um, cool. So, yeah. And New York is actually taking a really incredible approach where the first 250 retail licenses are all going to justice involved individuals. So those who have been criminalized for this plant and who have been operating legal businesses in the state of New York and paying taxes to the state of New York for the past two years. They are not allowing big kind of corporate cannabis, which are, yes, run by white men to have a seat at the table from day one, at least of this market. So they're taking a very different approach than any other state. And it'll be one that, yeah, I'm really excited to see how it all plays out. So right now, what it means to be Schedule 1 and not legal federally are things like you can't take the marijuana or the plant in general, uh, cannabis plant across state lines, right? And wherever you are, like if if you're selling in New York, Miss Grass product, it has to, the, the actual weed has to be grown in New York, right? Yeah, which makes, you know, operating a business quite challenging in the space. But yes, you need to grow, manufacture and distribute within each state because of its federal illegality. You can't cross state boundaries. So right now we sell Miss Grass in five states, 
California, Nevada, Illinois, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. And we have a supply chain in each of those states. Right. So that is really because you can have legal uh, recreational in states, but that mean doesn't mean that you can go across state lines. I just want the listener who doesn't understand the cannabis industry to understand that. And it's basically been defunded by the government federally to go after anybody and in, in states, even if it's not legal. Like I know in New York, it's like before it was even legal recreationally, they were like, don't arrest somebody because they're smoking weed on the street, which is why everybody complains about weed being smoked on the, like being smoked on the street. But it's technically legal now in New York state. It is. Yeah. But. So then let's talk about, so how many states are now legal, like medic, uh, recreationally? 21. So there's 21 states that are recreationally legal. There's, uh, I need to get the updated count, something like 39 that are even probably a little bit more that are medically legal. Right. Um, so this year or this upcoming year in 2023 will really be a big year for the industry because it will tilt the scale where there will be more states that are recreationally legal than not. Right. So I do feel this this year will be the like cannabis normalization year. More Americans already like one in two Americans live in a state that has recreationally uh, that are is recreationally legal, meaning if you're 21 years of age, you can go into a legal shop similar to alcohol and purchase. Exactly. And you can, and you can buy it and look, it has great implications for taxes um, for the state. Right. And I mean, uh, besides the social aspect of it that, you know, you can right some wrongs and hopefully most of the states are actually doing it like New York and you're talking about, but it's also brings a ton of taxes into the state, like Colorado, California, Washington state have done very well because of it. Right. Major. And that is partly on the agenda of legalization on some politicians um, agenda is like, that is the crux of their, you know, why they're pushing it, whatever the reason may be, I'm like supporting it. Um, But yes, 100% the taxes, as well as you see in legal states, drunk driving accidents go down, opioid uh, deaths go down, like this plant has so many incredibly benefit, like benefits for a number of different, you know, things that it's helped many Americans and beyond, not just Americans, but everyone. Um, can you just give us a quick 101 on the plant and the difference? Because people see like CBD and why can I buy that in a drink in New York, you know, before it was legal versus THC, et cetera? Yeah. So the cannabis plant, there's hemp and then there's marijuana, which is essentially all the same cannabis plant. The only difference between those two are in a hemp plant the THC percent is less than 0.3%. So the hemp bill that passed in 2018 made anything derived from the hemp plant federally legal, meaning you can ship across state lines, you can sell it in a bodega in New York. There's a lot of, you know, issues with how the hemp bill is is played out because there's a lot of things that you can extract from the hemp plant that actually can convert to being psychoactive. Mm-hmm. But that's a another thing and the hemp bill is actually up for review this year. So hopefully it will get changed. 
anything derived from marijuana, which is essentially the same cannabis plant as hemp, the difference being that it has above 0.3% THC is not federally legal. It's federally illegal. It's being governed state by state by state by state. So, um, yeah, the, the products that you can buy in a, in a legal state, whether it's recreationally legal or medically legal, are products that are derived from a plant that has above 0.3% THC. THC is a cannabinoid. There's over 100 cannabinoids found in the plant. THC is the only psychoactive cannabinoid found in the plant. CBD is non-psychoactive. So yeah, the, the stuff that will get you high will be found in legal dispensaries. That being said, as I mentioned, there's some issues with the hemp bill right now because you can kind of extract, the, which is why you're seeing a lot of like Delta 8 products being sold. Like there's ways to extract out of the hemp plant of things that will, will be psychoactive. Right. All right. Well, to be continued on that. <laughs> Thank you for that, though, um, because I think yeah. people have to understand it's like you can't just call cannabis like it. Like there's so many more. It's so multi-dimensional and what we're talking about here. OK, so you started the community, you started educating people and then you're like, what's next? Like, so how did you get into and then how did you do it? Let's go back to that. Did, did you raise money? Did you sell, you know, self fund? How did you, how did you start the company? Yeah. So I was working in New York at a company called Broadway video at the time um, that I started investing more of my time into Miss Grass. Um, Broadway video is Lauren Michaels company in New York. Who's the creator and the producer of Saturday Night Live along with a lot of other incredible um, entertainment IP Cannabis had was becoming more and more a conversation in the tables that I was sitting at, as well as cannabis reform started to sweep our nation. California was voting on it turning to recreational at that time. And I decided it was the time for me to pursue it full time. Um, the CEO of Broadway Video at the time, a guy named Jack Sullivan, put in our first check into the company. So when I left Broadway Video, it, I mean, it was a small nominal check to me. It was it was so big yeah. at the moment, but in the grand scheme of things, it was quite small. But it did give me this, you know, confidence of what we're building is, you know, valuable and will be valued by others. Um, my last day at Broadway Video, I moved back out to California because at that time, cannabis, not there wasn't much going on on the East Coast yeah. um, in the legal market. So felt like I needed to be in California to do it. And then I started fundraising as well as really tried to get Miss Grass off the ground at the kind of parallel pathing the two things. Um, at the time, I also met my business partner who I at the time basically scoped her for, oh, she's an incredible writer. And I provided a scope of work to get us X amount of pieces of editorial content to get us live and then have a little bit of runway. We obviously worked together throughout this scope and decided like to get married and become business partners. We raised a little bit more money before we launched a tiny, tiny bit. Then we went live in January of 2018. It was the height of the Me Too movement. Um, we were two female founders coupled with California had just went recreationally legal in January of 2018. So there was a lot of media around that topic that we benefited from the timing of 
going live at the same time. So we had really great early traction that we can then kind of couple together and, and put in our investor deck to then raise the rest of the round after we had launched. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what timing, right? You you like you got the URL in 2008, and then in January 2018, all these like stars aligned. So it's like there's you know a lot to be said for not having an overnight success, and you can be a visionary. Your vision just might not you know start until l- later. Um, okay, so then you launch it, and and things are going really well. You raise some. How did you raise that little bit of money? Who were you raising that from? Um, some like career network people, but um, the majority of that of our first round came from two cannabis funds. So there are specific venture funds that only invest in cannabis. At that time, back in early 2018, which I was having conversations late 2017 with them, there was less than a handful of like cannabis funds. So it was like easy, I guess, to create that hit list of like who we needed to talk to. Um, it was harder, obviously, to get them to commit, but two of the cannabis funds wrote the largest checks into that round, one of which led the round. Right. And then, um, and then was your growth to have product eventually at that point? Was there was that your in your plan? Yeah. Yeah. Our very first investor deck had like a, a circle and it was like content inspires and grows community community captures a bunch of data and insights to inform product and then it's really about commercialization and monetizing the community that we built the timeline of of that in our first investor deck was like in the first year it took us the year three until we actually launched product why do you think it took you guys so long what was that hold back couple things one the main thing was the Industry um, took a while to mature. Our play has always been a brand play, feeling that brands drive long-term value in any consumer industry. Cannabis will be absolutely no different. It'll be really valuable for us to build a really loyal community, not just within the state of California or any state, but around the whole world. Especially as more states turn on, we have a really loyal community base already built that when we offer product in that state, they're like coming out and showing up from day one. But it just took a while, even after California, the next state, you know, it even took a while for that to build. Right. So it just it wasn't the right time for us um, to evolve into especially selling product on the THC side of the industry until when we ultimately did, which was October 2020, we launched our first product on that side. And then it has grown exponentially since then, right? What do you think is the differentiating factor of Miss Grass? You know, why why people are so loyal to it and women want to, women in particular, really gravitate toward it? I think it's the community that we built. They're extremely loyal. Everything we do, like, and we're not like speaking to them, like we are them, like everything that we're doing is, you know, for us as well. So I think as it relates to being an authentic brand who is catering to this consumer demographic, we are one of the best ones to do it because we are authentically are that consumer demographic. So we intimately understand what we want, what, you know, in terms of like the right dosage, the right products, 
the right intention. Like we curate our strain selection based on a terpene profile, which I'm not going to like get into yeah. too nitty gritty into the science, but essentially like we really hone in on creating our products and our formulations to elicit the results that we know our community wants. So I think that's that's a big part of it. Aesthetically, it's beautiful as well. Um, so that sets us apart on the shelf. And, you know, we have beyond our product, like that's one extension of our brand. Like we have an online media platform. We do a ton of events. So I just feel it's a lifestyle that we are. It's a lifestyle brand. And we're representing this lifestyle that so many people resonate and see themselves see themselves in. Right. And so when you're talking about the terpene profile and the, and the result that they want, what do you mean exactly? What do you think your so, community wants? Or no, what, what do you know your community wants? How about that? Yeah. So our strains right now, we have fast times, quiet times, and all times. For instance, our fast time strain, we will select strains in every single state that has a terpene profile that's high in these words are going to sound ridiculous to people who don't really know terps, but limonene and pinene and karyophyllene, which essentially the terpenes are the like cannabis's unsung heroes. It's why something is like considered a sativa and more uplifting and cerebral. Like it'll be a, a strain that's high in limonene. So we'll, we're really intentional with that. So, you know, every time you're reaching for a fast time, you will feel that same result, production to production, state to state. It's not just us sourcing like the fire strain that you're going to have different results every single time in terms of how you feel. So it's a safe, consistent high every time. So the fast times will be super cerebral, uplifting, creative. The all times will be a really nice balanced high. It won't be too in your head, but also not too relaxing in your body. And then our quiet times is exactly that. We've heard that a lot of our consumer base likes to consume weed at the end of the day as like that relax in before they go to sleep. And that's exactly what the quiet times um, right. inspires. And all of your stuff are like these mini joints, right? They're like not these long fatties that everybody, you know. Yeah. Seems so like this it. is what it is. Adorable. If anybody can see this, they're who are watching versus, yeah, they're amazing <laughs> and small and they're not like these massive, like big blunts that everybody is used to seeing um, in that, you know, stoner bro culture and gorgeously packaged on top of it. So, you know, the brand is beautiful, everything, but, you know, there's still a lot of challenges, not only given the fact that it's not federally legal, but, you know, you're raising money and you're, you know, and how in growing the business and like, how, as a female founder, is it harder than male founders in this particular industry? Yeah, I mean, as a female founder, I just think there's hurdles that we face that males just don't. When I first got into the industry in 2017, a lot of headlines at that time in media were reading like cannabis could be the first like multi-billion dollar industry with women at the helm. And I was so excited by that opportunity Sadly, as this industry matured and more capital has been poured into the industry, and with that has come the capital, you know, the culture of the capital markets, which is predominantly white male, yeah. that shift has dramatically happened. So now we actually like way under index as an industry as it relates to female executives and leaders and founders and CEOs in this space. 
So yes, I do think it's extremely challenging. I think from one side, it's our advantage. Like it's a massive consumer base that we can authentically cater to way better than our male counterparts because we are them. But I feel like I feel it the most in like investment conversations. Yeah. Just the people who are investing in this space and honestly investing in general, which is why I was so grateful and still so grateful to have met you and to have you involved in the company. Like sadly, a lot of investors don't look like you and are not women. So I found that to be the hardest to navigate the fundraise and investor conversations. Uh, I just, I'm more conscious of my gender in those conversations than I am anywhere else in this journey. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's the numbers are like, they haven't changed at all. They've gone down a little bit. 2% of women get venture funding. And if you're a woman of color, it's like 0.5%. I think it's gone down even this year. It's, you know, staggering. And then I can only imagine in 2023. But the good news is when you launched in New Jersey, right? Like the numbers, like the sales and everybody's going through the roof. I was just telling Kate before this, my friend, who has been on this podcast, I won't name her by name just in case, but like she lives in New Jersey and they had a party this weekend and the entire bag that they were serving everybody wasn't like the alcohol. It was all Miss Grass products because everybody, male and female, really like the products and the quality is so good and you you know what you're going to get. So one other thing though, everybody keeps talking, you know, these are, you know, little joints and everybody keeps talking about edibles. Is that a space that you guys are going to get in? It is. Our community, we like did a, a massive survey about a year ago, um, or I guess now uh, even longer, um, when we were developing our Miss Grass Minis or inspiring that. And overnight, 7,500 people from our community responded to this really detailed survey. And one of the, the things that we captured was just what is our community's favorite form factor? And number one was pre-roll joints, but a very, very, very close second was edible. So that's something that we're um, exploring and working on. Amazing. Um, Well, look, it is right before the holidays and I so appreciate you coming on this and um, especially informing everybody so much about the process and cannabis in general and what's going on. And I'm really hopeful, you know, because I'm a big cannabis investor as well, you know, in general, that this industry is going to become federally descheduled from schedule one, because it is not the same smoking a joint, it, regardless if it was even a blunt, one of those like, you know, typical bro culture stoner, like isn't nothing compared to heroin, which is like a devastating drug. And it's so crazy that they are on that same schedule. Um, But, you know, for all of this and everything that you've given us, the one question I always ask everybody is what's the worst advice you've ever received? Mm. What immediately came to my head is someone once gave me the advice of be the loudest in the room and they I just don't inherently believe that to be good advice. I think that as a woman playing into our like feminine characteristics of being like listeners and compassionate and empathetic, like we don't need to be the loudest in the room to succeed. And if anything, I, I feel at least in my own personal journey, some of more, my more like soft feminine skills have have gotten me to where I'm where I'm at today 
So yeah, I mean, you have to, and it has to be use your instinct. Like if that's not who you are, how can you authentically do that? Right. It's just like, I can't even imagine knowing it. You'd be like shouting over everybody. (laughs) Look at me. I mean, this more me, you know, but uh, (laughs) that's definitely not you authentically. No, I love that. That's so great. Um, Look at people. And right now, like a lot of listeners are in New York and LA. Um, Mm -hmm. Where can they buy it in New Jersey and California right now? Yeah. And we're actually, we signed a deal in New York. So we'll be in New York um, early of 2023. But the best place to just understand where we are is going to our site, missgrass.com, M-I-S-S grass.com. And we have a stockist page and you can just type in your address and I'll show you the closest dispensary. I love it. And where are you going to be in New York? What's hopefully the- a lot of places we'll need to sell. I mean, we sell into all the stores. So we're okay. Oh, I thought you meant you signed with a particular store. Sorry. Okay, good. So, like we have a supply chain in New York and then Love once it. we actually have product, we'll sell it into the stores. Okay. And so everybody else can find you where else other than missgrass.com? Social at Miss Grass. Um, our email subscriber list is probably the best place to follow just because there's a lot of restrictions on channels and cannabis and email. We could like let our hair down and say whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. My language, but sign up for our email newsletter. That's definitely the best place to be in the know. I love it. I'm so excited for what you've grown. I'm so impressed by what you've done. It is, you know, I've been looking in and investing in the cannabis business since I was at Superfly because the four founders, you know, we had festivals. It was just, and, you know, I was super excited too. And it was like, oh, this could be a multi-billion dollar business, which it already is legally even. Um, co, you know, and just as equal female entrepreneurs as male. And we got stomped on again. I mean, I don't think it's over, right? Because it's not federally legal, but it was another area where it was just like all this private equity was coming in, raising money, buying up brands and like, but you know, it's not too late. It's still um, in an infancy stage because of this federal restriction. And what people fail to understand is once that is over, like it's all bets off. Right. And not only that, so get in now, invest in Miss Grass now while you can, because it will happen, you know, with most of the States, but also this is a global play. Like it's happening yeah. everywhere, right? Yeah. And so even if the United States took a long time, it's still in South America, Europe, yeah. you know, all these places where it is legal, Canada. Um, and so you can launch in any of those. So are we, are you, and one other question I forgot to ask, are you raising money right now? If people wanted to, to find out about investing? We are, we're in the middle of a round where we only have a little bit left, um, but Early next year, we should still have a little left of the round. Okay. Yeah, this will air probably mid-January. So great. Amazing. Thank you, Kate. Happy holidays. Thank you, Thank Happy you everyone. Happy holidays. I'm excited to hang in the new year. Yeah, same. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.